My name is Mary Klaska, and I'm an author, speaker, artist, musician, and evangelist. I serve the worldwide church as a hermit and a missionary in places as diverse as Russia, Africa, and all over Europe. I'm currently working in Indiana as a nanny to support my writing and prayer ministries. In addition to my U.S. book sales, three of the books that I've written have found their way to helping persecuted Christians in Nigeria and Pakistan. If you'd like to know more about my work or help support my nonprofit activities, I invite you to go to my website www.maryklaskafiat.com That's www.maryklaskafiat.com And thank you to Catholic Vitamins Podcast with Deacon Tom and Dee for giving me the opportunity to share about my work. Welcome to Catholic Vitamins, your dose of spiritual supplements from A to Z. Catholic Vitamins, specially formulated to help you achieve optimum spiritual health. It's time to energize your faith, forget what lies behind, and press on toward the goal. We've already won. Here are your hosts for Catholic Vitamins, Deacon Tom Fox and his lovely wife, Dee. Well, hi again, Dee. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Catholic Vitamins, everyone. This is show number... 475 for the World Wide Web. And show number... 123 for KPIH. What is KPIH, Dee? It's our local Catholic radio station, 98.9 on our dial. And on their dial, and everybody's everybody's dial in Payson, Arizona, (laughs) a nice community of about 15,000 people up... um, 5,000 feet? Did you say that? Yes, it is. And uh, we're surrounded, I'm looking out the window as we're talking, we're surrounded by a large rim, which is why we call it Rim Catholic Radio in our community. That's why it's called the Rim Country up here. Yeah, the rim is about 7,000 feet in elevation, roughly, and our town is about 5,000 in elevation. So we have some nice um, seasonable weather right now. It's trying to warm up for spring. It's springtime, yeah. We have some wind, which is happening. (laughs) Which you're not happy about. (laughs) Well, it just seems to keep going on. Actually, I'm not too happy about it either because it's stirring up allergies and I'm not feeling great. Really? Yes. You put some allergy medicine in this morning. I hope it helps you, dear. I've never had allergies. I've never been bothered. It's just like all of a sudden, why at this stage of my life? Is it starting to bother me? But I saw you on your knees saying, thank you for this cross, Lord. I welcome this cross. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. I've got to go. Thank to you for that reminder. <laughs> <laughs> well, dear folks, uh, our program is designed. We hope it helps to nourish faith <clears throat> from A to Z. In fact, this is B. Vitamin, vitamin B. B. Or the, 
Benefactress. Benefactress. We are going to be talking with, once again, a return guest, Mary Kloska. Yeah, that that lady who just introduced the show. Right, exactly. (laughs) And and, um, she is helping to benefit people in the U.S. who are finding her work, her ministry, and she's helping to benefit people in foreign countries. It's a wonderful story. And it was the reason that we made outreach to see if we could have her back and give us an update. An update, yeah. We had her on back in October last year. So, If, if you're interested in finding out more about her, you could go to that show. What's the show number? It was show number 462, but it was Vitamin O for Obedient yeah. back, back in October of two, 2020. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Well, um, <clears throat> what are we going to chat, chat about in our Prattle segment I was just thinking about this study group at church that we have every Wednesday, and we just started a new book by Archbishop Chaput. We just finished one by him. Right. And Father Vieira, I think, likes his writings a lot. And the Archbishop just came out with a brand new book called Things Worth Dying For. A wonderful title in itself. Just what a challenge just in the title. And Father V was away this week on Wednesday, so you led this opening session with Chapter 1. Chapter 1. We had a a goodly number of people there who stayed after the communion service that I led, and then we had good participation, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. One of the things that the bishop did to open this is to sort of create a picture of something that's really worth dying Four, and he uh, used the Holy Land, which has had um, Muslims, which has had Jews, which has had Christians, Catholics, many of whom have died for that land. And it was something worth dying for for people. And um, he sort of layered into this idea of things worth dying for. And I'm really looking forward to reading the book. I recommend it. And is, he, is chocolate worth dying for? <laughs> Uh, for you, yeah. Would well, be. I, I was going to thank you for donating the rest of your uh, birthday brownies to uh, to the group. Were they good? They yeah. were very good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, dear, for cutting them up and serving them. Well, look at where we are already at time-wise. We've chatted long enough for the first Prattle segment. We're going to take a break, and we will be back. group from down at St. Timothy's in Mesa. You miss going down there, don't you? I do, and I really love that, uh, the Kyrie and Gloria that they do most often for Masses, and we just heard a part of it. It's just beautiful. It really lifts my heart and soul. There are a lot of families, a lot of young families down there in that parish, a lot of kids. Speaking Speaking of kids. (laughs) Tom has been uh, doing CCD work preparing some young children. I think we've mentioned this a time or two on a previous show. 
And um, the thing I'd like to share with our listeners <clears throat> is um, an interesting little thing that has happened the first week. I think it's been six classes ago, the first week that I met with them. You know, they're like eight and nine. There's some silliness, and um, I wondered how this was going to go. But we took them on a tour <clears throat> over to the church uh, after six classes. I took them into where you do confessions. I took them into the sanctuary. We practiced with holy water. I took them up to the um, altar. altar area. We had them genuflect and bless themselves. We went to the ambo so they could see where the book of the Gospels was. Did you take them back in the uh, sacristy? We did. And then I opened up the refrigerator and I showed them where the hosts are kept. And they had previously, just like 45 minutes earlier, seen a First Communion video for children. And part of it, what it had in it was a, a demonstration of how the nuns make the hosts, how they bake them and then how oh. they cut them. So the children were really taken with all of this. And the mother was with us. And the other children in the family, she has six children total, so four young ones. And it was just wonderful. It was really a chance for me to see the children beginning to blossom in the faith. Now, would I like it to be a year's worth of education? For sure. But um, it was really very nice. And uh, I, I don't know, I just love being around young children. They're so wonderful to be with. Well, do you think we should take another break? And why don't we bring up our guest? Our family has spanned the centuries and the globe. With God's grace, we started hospitals to care for the sick. We established orphanages and helped the poor. We are the largest charitable organization on the planet, bringing comfort to those in need. We educate more children than any other institution. We developed the scientific method and founded the college system. We defend the dignity of human life and uphold marriage. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are transformed by sacred scripture and sacred tradition, which have guided us for 2,000 years. We are the Catholic Church, with over one billion in our family, sharing in the sacraments and fullness of the Christian faith. Jesus started our church when he said to Peter, the first pope, You are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. So if you've been away from the Catholic Church, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. We are Catholic. Welcome home. Next up on Catholic Vitamins, those who listen to us know that we do not often return with our guests. We like to bring fresh content to help nourish faith from A to Z on Catholic Vitamins, but we do from time to time bring a returning guest on, and today is no exception, Mary Kloska, a missionary living in the Midwest, is with us once again, and we have some new territory to explore with her. Mary, welcome back to Catholic Vitamins. Thank you, Deacon, so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Amen, amen, as am I. I'm really glad for our time together today. Both of us are busy, you far more than me, but... um, I'm glad we were able to get this scheduled. Let me uh, a- let me ask you to first introduce for our new listeners anybody who uh, may not have heard you before. Tell who Mary Kloska is, what your background is. Absolutely, I am from a hundred percent Polish family in Indiana, 
And I grew up with 12 siblings, and then we had foster babies in and out of the house, and we adopted my youngest brother. And my family's very big. Um, Everyone except me ended up getting married and having um, beautiful families. I have over 70 nieces and nephews right now. Yeah, so it's, it's really beautiful. And I went to Notre Dame the University of Notre Dame, and I got a degree in theology and graduated in 1999. And then I went on in my adult life to spend my time between being a hermit, including three years um, with vows under a bishop as a temporary vows, and um, being a missionary. You know, my heart was really divided between that life of intense prayer and of serving really the poorest of the poor. Um, those that have the direst needs or were not really being taken care of by others. And so I traveled the whole world um, and would spend months at a time in a mission and then months at a time as a hermit. And just a few years ago, my life took a twist I didn't expect, but um, I ended up just needing um, some financial security. I didn't have the donations that I had had the years before. And so I took a job as a night nanny on Michigan Ave, downtown Chicago, for triplet newborns. (laughs) So I went from living with the poorest of the poor to a more wealthier group of people I was exposed to. And I worked 80 hours a week, and it was really beautiful because it was contemplative work when you're with these babies. Um, And I've continued now for the last few years to try to support myself through being a nanny, especially to very young children, and um, continue a life of quiet and prayer as I can. You know, I don't have a TV, and I really try to spend hours in prayer every day. And then um, sort of my missionary life opened up again through the Internet, which is interesting because um, I was not very present on the internet until then, but I had found a publisher who wanted to publish some of my writing, and he asked me to try to make myself a little more available to people. So I opened a Facebook page and started praying the rosary every day, and in the fall, it was like seventy to 100,000 people that were joining every day. It's mm. kind of gotten clobbered down since then. It's about 15 to 20 at this point, um, but... You know, it's just interesting how God has reconnected me to people all throughout the world and old people I knew in missions and um, people started to request translating my books and just a whole new form of missionary life opened up to me. Hmm. And so that brings me to where I am today, (laughs) you know, kind of stretched between a contemplative heart and a missionary call and then just normal everyday you know, humdrum life of, you know, taking care of children and doing laundry to support myself. I have, I have great love. Oh, it's very interesting. <laughs> I have great love for little children, and uh, what an important mission that is in itself in, in many ways. But let me just back right. up. Let me just back up to the word hermit, because uh, while that may not be your focus now or not too much of the focus, people might have their image in their mind of what the word hermit means. Would mm-hmm. you would you sort of do a little, you know, explain yeah. of what that was yeah. about? No, of course. 
you know, when I was at Notre Dame, I met a hermit priest that invited me down to live with their community after graduation. And so um, that was my first real exposure. But later on, I had actual hermit vows under a bishop. And so, like, if you look at, say, canon law, what do they say that a hermit is? Um, you have to live a life of silence and solitude. It doesn't have to be absolute, but much more than the common, you know, person in the church. And then um, prayer and fasting, an increased amount of prayer and fasting, and living um, a rule according to what you've written out and approved by the bishop. So I had my own rule. And when I wrote my rule, my life has always been given particularly to the cross. So it kind of has a, a spirit of that within my explanation of how I would live this. And, um, you know, in the catechism, it talks about hermits as well. And it talks about how, you know, you're never a hermit just for yourself. You're a hermit for the world. So you mm. spend your time in silence and solitude, but it's praying for the world and doing spiritual battle for the world. So a heart that's drawn to that kind of prayer also would naturally be drawn to missionary sort of work because it's um, it's not as diverse from each other as it might seem at first glance, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the very simple expl- explanation. And then you list poverty, chastity, and obedience according to your state of life. Mary, so, um, Mary before, before we move on, um, and excuse the interrupt because I know we have other things that we really want to cover, but if someone is hearing this and they are intrigued by what you've just described of this mm-hmm. hermit life, is there a way that somebody can be a hermit for a period of time during the day or a period of time in their life? I would, I think so. Yes. Um, you know, I, when you make vows in a bishop as a diocesan hermit, you make them temporarily at first. So it's a time of discernment, the same way that, like, a novitiate would be a time of discernment for a religious community. So there are people who do it for a period of time. But I also um, would encourage them. I have a few podcasts on that, and one of them talks about Catherine Daugherty and her book, Pustinia. And it's very beautiful how she explains how you can live that kind of hermit spirituality, even if you have a life more in the world, you know? And I go, I go through a lot of her her writing because I think she was very wise in that. But you can find, you know, time in your life of greater silence and solitude, prayer and fasting, you know, poverty mm-hmm. and obedience. And sometimes that's, you know, ratified by a vow, but then sometimes people just live that way, you know, and at, you look at sometimes older people as they go into retirement. I have a, a lady friend at a parish who is really looking to retire so she could live more like that. Mm-hmm. And she's not looking to become it officially, but that's what her life's going to look like, you know? Um, and like I did it for that first year outside of Notre Dame at the encouragement of the hermit priest. Um, because he said it's very good to take that kind of time temporarily to discern really what God's asking of you in life. So sometimes it can be for a few weeks on a long retreat, you know, or you could take a year of service, but 
you could go somewhere far away that's a little more simple and, you know, your life would slowly become more like that. I know my first missions, especially since there wasn't internet and cell phones the way there are now, were very contemplative because you're in a new culture far away from everything you know. And you have a life of intense prayer where the Lord can really speak to you and guide you. I'm going to, I'm going to move us into the area, one of the areas that, that we've agreed that we'd work on today or to talk about today. Mm-hmm. But just as a sidebar, I smiled in my heart when you mentioned Catherine Doherty of Madonna House. Uh-huh. I'm an associate deacon for Madonna House and have oh, been for, for many years. That? Yeah, and, and have been for many years and, and a supporter of their ministry as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the book Pustinia, P-O-U-S-T-I-N-I-A. And I'll put a link, I mean, I'll put uh, a mention of that on our show notes for this. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> we also want to mention a book that I know that you wrote called The Holiness of Women. And do uh-huh. you want, would you say some words about that, please? Sure. The Holiness of Womanhood. It's the first of my books that I published. And I actually wrote it when I was at Notre Dame. Um, and I had asked for a directed readings class under Professor Ralph McInerney who was just a wonderful man, and um, he was an expert on Vatican II. So after, the class actually grew from just me to like 30 students, so, you know, we wow. all came to him. And um, at the end, he told us to write a paper on one aspect of what we studied with Vatican II, and I chose the role of women. And um, he loved my paper, and he actually kept it. And he published part of it in his magazine at the time and told, encouraged me to continue on in that. So over the years, I began to give women's retreats and kind of added to it and went a little deeper. And the book goes through what the true vocation is of the holiness of womanhood. Um, and I had met, when I was at the university, so many radical feminists who were not happy with who God made them to be. And what I found in prayer and in study was how beautiful this original call was and how Our Lady is just the model for all of us in that. And so um, I put the retreat, I gave the retreat when I was in Russia, and I gave the retreat in Poland, and I've given the retreat here a few times to smaller groups. Um, and, uh, I put it all together in a book and it was published last July at the end of July and has really been an instrument of healing for so many people, Mm. um, across, you know, cultures and socioeconomic classes and, um, because it, it draws you back to the basics, to the beginning with Genesis and, you know, what that original call we had to be um, holy women of God. So Amen. that's what that book is. Sounds beautiful. Sounds beautiful. Well, I know that um, there's other writing and work that you've been doing, and this is sort of the layer that I'd wanted to get into today to update mm-hmm. any who may have discovered you in an earlier Catholic Vitamins podcast. Um mm-hmm. You have been writing about persecution in the church or strengthening people who are being persecuted mm-hmm. in 
you and I mm-hmm. agreed before we started recorded time that there's emerging persecution of the church in America, but even more so in other countries like Pakistan. <clears throat> Can you tell us how you got started with this and what's going on in this area? Sure. So it was interesting. This book, The Holiness of Womanhood, I just put out links on my Facebook account. And it's amazing how God has connected me back with the world through that. And so I had um, several people contact me and ask about making it available in their own country or translating it. And um, one of them was a man from Pakistan. And he had been a Franciscan seminarian until his father died. And then he had to leave the seminary and go home and provide for his family. And he has since gotten married and has a daughter. But he has that um, solid Catholic formation, you know, that he had gone through because he was almost ready to be ordained. Mm-hmm. And um, he's very dedicated as a lay catechist. And so he had some experience, very well educated, and um, experienced translating. And he translated that first book into Urdu, which is the language in Pakistan that's most common. And... Um, we provided enough for a thousand copies to be given away. And it was incredible because, um, and then there was a seminarian in Nigeria who got a hold of it. And we've given um, about 600, I think is the number we're at now, away to um, priests, religious seminarians, but then also Muslims. And it's been interesting to see in both of these countries how the book has touched not only the persecuted Christians who are being killed for their faith, but the Muslims doing it. And the holiness of womanhood has really touched the Muslim women because they are not respected at all. And I received testimonials back from these countries where women said, I've always hated being a woman. I've always wanted to be a man because of what the differences in treatment, and you have healed my heart and opened me up to the beauty of what this is. And in northern Nigeria, um, an Islamic college and the imam at the mosque nearby requested 100 copies, and I'm receiving testimonials back from them who have read it. And not only women, and this is what um, was interesting to me, men who are convicted that they need to defend their mothers and sisters and wives and daughters. And um, they're gathering in Pakistan, for example, groups of 100 illiterate people and reading it aloud. Mm-hmm. So the book, even though it's only been 1,000 copies thus far, it's probably reached 20, we haven't, the numbers added up exactly, but twenty five to 50,000 people, depending on each meeting, how many people were there. And... Um, It was interesting because then I wrote the second book, Out of the Darkness, which had to do with the interior suffering of Christ on the cross. And it is a beautiful meditation on his suffering. And that also was translated then into Urdu. And like I shared before we came on, the translator, um, you know, was speaking about so much persecution of those who propagate the faith. And I asked several times, are you sure that you want to spread this writing? I don't want to put you at risk or your children, you know, the people that you know. And he said, Mary, to be a Christian in Pakistan is certain death, Mm -hmm. but your book is giving meaning and courage to our death. 
You're giving us instruments to know how to suffer well. So I would never have normally put the two books together, but they are being used in tandem right now. And it's interesting because just recently I published a third book about praying for priests and and Our Lady's relationship with Jesus as the eternal high priest, which has to do with her role in his suffering as well. And he's using that book to guide prayer groups to help heal women, so it's like the first book, who are being persecuted and suffering terribly, like the second book. So he has taken and put these three together in Pakistan, and it's being done in a less organized way in Nigeria. You know, there aren't prayer groups there, but the same people are having access to these. And um, it's just beautiful to see where God took, you know, this the seed of these books, and the Holy Spirit carried it to a place where I had no connections, and um, has really made a beautiful garden out of it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's blooming, and I daily receive pictures and testimonies from people um, all over, but especially those two countries are very on fire right now um, about the teachings of the church in that regard. So it's just beautiful. It's really beautiful. Mary, we were talking before recording time and uh, suggesting here that there's growing uh, efforts at persecution against Christians in the U.S. Um, uh, how about your books for people here? Well, I agree. I think they're important. Part of the persecution in the U.S. is um, just being faithful. And, you know, you see it in so many different ways. I'll mention, you know, I have this Facebook rosary that was exploding in, in numbers, and Facebook came down on me and, the, and the other people who, you know, run these pages. They've sent messages as well um, where, you know, anything that has to do with God and prayer and things like that have been either shut down or slowed down, blocked. That's a form of persecution. But I learn, um, you know, churches being closed or, um, you know, people only, you know, receiving a position at work if they agree to certain things that they're morally against. And there's all sorts of ways that our faith is tested on a daily basis. And when you focus on, like, the holiness of womanhood goes through what it truly means to be a woman, and I touch on a man because they're connected, you know, who are we? Like, what was our purpose in being created? Then that strengthens you to truly be who God created you to be. And out of the darkness talks about this great passion of Christ and what he suffered for us and what he's calling us to imitate him. Um, in you know, he says that you have to take up your cross and follow me. And so um, it has strengthened many people right here at home. Um to make those difficult decisions sometimes where, you know, it, it's not like sometimes you choose God and then he keeps blessings on you in a tangible, worldly way. You know, sometimes our treasures are going to come to us in heaven. Amen. And he expects us to be faithful because for the sake of faithfulness. But I think these books are really powerful in helping people to do that. And 
you know, the book, um, The Priesthood, that just came out, and Praying for Priests kind of is connected to that, because to be a priest that's faithful is difficult. It's painful. And there is persecution of the Church and persecution of priests who are striving to live and teach the teachings of the Church. And so, you know, it was to encourage and to help people who are committed to praying for them. And sometimes that prayer takes the form of, you know, suffering with and for them, you know, and different things they encounter. Um, But I think that a lot of the issues that have arisen in the United States don't um, scare me as much as other people who I've spoken to on the phone and things, because I worked as a missionary in Russia, (laughs) in Siberia. So I kind of learned, like, well, those kind of things happen, and this is the way you approach it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of had some experience. I learned so much from the Polish missionaries who lived under communism, and they would just laugh in the face of the interrogators. Like, they really, I'll tell you, their joy was a great tool that they taught to me, you know? Um, And uh, it's interesting to see where I... I am not shaken by certain things that other people are just because I have that experience in other countries, you know, enduring that. But it is very present here in our country. It really is. Mary, um, I have written in my own notes that I've been taking from our time together, The Holiness of Womanhood. Uh Uh, Give us the name of the other two books that you've been talking about? Out of the Darkness. The second one is called Out of the Darkness. And I wrote it when I was in, like, seclusion in Siberia. They, the bishop had asked that somebody kind of stake out in this mission parish. And I was the only place the Blessed Sacrament was present for a thousand kilometers. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, my time was spent just alone praying you know, in the middle of the wilderness, basically, of um, Russia, which was no longer communist, but much of the communism was still in the system, especially when you get far from Moscow. You know, things are just less organized. And I wrote it on the interior suffering of Christ. And so that's, and I had prayed one day and opened for a passage for the Lord to give to me to meditate on. And it was from Sirach, and the translation that I had at that time said, um, you know, out of the darkness, God creates a plan. And since then, when I've looked it up here, it says out of obscurity. But the, the translation I had, whatever one it was in Russia, said out of the darkness, and that's where the book came from. Because out from the darkness of our lives, from the confusion and the darkness and all of that, God creates this great plan of hope and joy. And so it's kind of guiding people on that path. And then the third book is In Our Lady's Shadow, The Spirituality of Praying for Priests. And I've been dedicated in my life to praying for priests. I have a few who I've prayed to for many, many years. And I had women come to me from the parish asking for advice for their different prayer groups on praying for priests. And as I kind of went through in my heart, you know, my own way of praying, um, this whole book came forth and it has to do with how our lady um, was part of Jesus's, you know, priesthood. 
when he was the infant eternal high priest, you know, he still had that identity as a child. And then, you know, in his mission and how she helped him in that and under the cross and then in the resurrection and then staying behind to form the priests on earth when he ascended into heaven and then how we can enter into that. And um, chapter eight of that book is um, very heavily from Pope Benedict's document on spiritual maternity of priests, which is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's supporting them who support us, the persecuted church. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So those are the three books. If I, if I could just go back to the second book that you talked about, Out of the Darkness, uh, for a mm-hmm. moment. This is just mm-hmm. a, a note about Deacon Tom, but I wanted to share this with you. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. And in mm-hmm. in Psalm 139, it talks about God forming us in the darkness of the womb, in, in our mother's mm-hmm. womb. And uh, you mentioned about God having a plan. He has a plan for each of us, and it starts right. in the womb. And right. it just connected with me when you were talking about, you know, the interior. Very side. much so. Very much so. And that's so beautiful. And that's kind of my point with, you know, the books is to draw people back to that. I think if people can go back to those moments of their creation, of their conception, you know, God forms them from the earth and breathes his life into them. And like, and at that point, he has a plan and it's going to encounter sufferings in our world. It's going to encounter difficulties, but his life and his purpose and his grace will be enough to carry us through all of that. Mm-hmm. Mary, we're at the, our near wrap-up time. How can people find you at various places? Where, where would you like them to look for you? Well, I think it's easiest. I, at the suggestion of a nephew, <laughs> I made up a website where you can go and then you can find my books or my podcast or my interviews. This interview will be linked there. And um, it's just my, it's Mary, www.maryklaskafiat.com. So it's M-A-R-Y-K-L-O-S-K-A-F-I- at.com. Got it. We'll put and that. if you if you just look up, it's my name with fiat. <laughs> then everything there, um, you can find everything. I, I have everything linked in different areas. <clears throat> Very good. We'll put that on the uh, face page for the show and make sure that people, if they didn't have a pencil ready or something, that they can go to right. uh, our Catholic Vitamins face page for this show and find that information. Oh, so, Thank you. Mary, please stay on the line uh, after we end our recorded time. Um, but uh, what a gift this has been for me, and I, I know for any who will hear this, that uh, it will be an inspiration. Um, I've had you on my prayer list. I've told you that independently. Thank you. <laughs> of, uh, I need it. <laughs> and... Uh, May God bless you. May he multiply the hours in your day, it sounds like. Thank you. That's what I need. (laughs) Every day I say, Lord, please send me the time and the money to do what you're asking because I have neither. (laughs) 
Mary, is there a place where people can make a donation to you on your website? Yes. Well, I put under their donors, it takes you to my Patreon. I have a very small Patreon um, place where people could make monthly donations. But if you prefer to do it individually or you can contact me, there's a contact on that page, too. And sometimes people like to just do it quietly separately, and that's okay. Very good. Mary Kloska, we'll keep you in our prayers. Thanks so much for coming on Catholic Vitamins. Thank you so much. God bless you all. for this show is Benefactress, and uh, Benefactress is obviously a feminine benefactor. A female person who gives some form of help. And that would certainly be Mary Kloska's help, helping Kloska, helping others in foreign countries, as well as those who find her work in ministry in the U.S. A longer definition might be a person who gives some form of help to benefit a person, group, or organization often gifting uh, a monetary contribution in the form of an endowment to help a cause. Benefactors are humanitarian leaders and charitable patrons, providing assistance in many forms, such as an alumnus from a university giving back to the college. goes on like that. Yeah, and in my talking offline with uh, Mary Kloska, I know that she's virtually taking the proceeds of her book sales and putting them back into print, giving printed copies to those being persecuted in right, foreign to countries. Get, to get them over in those countries. Yeah, yes. yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, some time ago, we had Catsy uh, Long on our show. And uh, for those who might have just now stumbled onto us, Catsy Long was the U.S. coordinator for the wonderful work of a now-deceased priest named Father Ubald. His last name is a little unusual for us in America, but it was like Ruji Rangoga. And, uh, we'll stick with Father Ubald. Father Ubald. And he was a wonderful preacher and teacher of forgiveness, and his work stems from what happened in Rwanda, in which a million people uh, were massacred some time ago, including, I think, 35 of the extended family of Father Ubal. So long story short, um, he became involved with a woman named Katsy Long in the U.S. She was his travel coordinator, and she set up conferences for him to come and talk at in the U.S. And we, we recently read an email from her on a previous podcast where she had just gotten back from taking his... Remains. Body. Yeah. His, body back over to Rwanda. Yes. Or his remains over. Yeah. So I, I just sent her a note that I was praying for her and hoping that she was doing well. I know that she's still quite sensitive about the loss of Father Hubal. Thank you so much, <clears throat> Deacon Tom and Dee. What a gift you are to me and to Father Ubald. I am slowly working through the piles of papers and things I had not had time for during the last six months. We we're also working through our strategic plan as a board for the Center for Peace, trying to navigate this new season without Father Ubald. My trip to Rwanda was good but exhausting for many reasons. 
The amount of love poured out was beautiful, but the fear and anxiety must have been how the apostles felt after Jesus was gone. And she said it was very palpable while she was in Rwanda. His missionaries of peace, the staff at the center, his brother and sister, they all depended on him, and he was their stable grounding leader and so much more. Katsy uh, goes on, so we shall see how God will lead and what happens now. As for me, I continue to put one foot in front of the other. Prayer is difficult, and the ongoing lack of God's felt presence and darkness continues. I'm so sorry to hear that, Katsy. It has been that way the entire journey, and hoping one day I will experience that connection again. In the meantime, I'm so grateful for friends in the faith and prayers and condolences they send, so thank you. I have just watched the video you sent. I sent her a video from Father Mark Goring about struggling with sadness in your life, being depressed, so that she found that helpful. Dear friends, Katsy uh, Long was a benefactress to Father Ubald, and Mary Kloska is a benefactor to many in the U.S. and foreign countries. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back. A palliative nurse wrote an article a few years back about the research she had done with the elderly. Hi, this is Tony Agnesi. The article talked about the five regrets of the dying. They were, number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. Too often we follow a life that we think others would approve of or want for us. Parents oftentimes have ideas of what career paths their children should follow, and often they are 180 degrees opposite of their children's own desires. Number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. I've never heard of a person who on their deathbed said, you know, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. They often say they wish they'd have spent more time with family, spouse, children, more time traveling, writing, or in ministry to others. Third, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. You know, sometimes it's tough for people to speak out. They feel so strongly about issues, but feel tongue-tied when it comes to sharing their opinion. Fourth, I wish I'd have stayed in touch with friends. Friends. We make many over the years, but lose touch with so many that meant a great deal to us at a certain time in our lives. Our jobs take us to a new city. We finish school. We go our separate directions, and we lose touch. Often we think about re reconnecting, but the business of our life gets in the way until it's too late. And fifth, I wish that I had let myself be happier. We take our responsibilities seriously, and that's good. But when we begin to take life seriously, so seriously that we lose our sense of humor and wonder, happiness eludes us. Well, how do we live a life with no regrets? Here are a few things we can do to put regrets behind us. First, appreciate and be grateful for all the things we have. And don't spend so much time thinking about those things we want. Think of all the gifts you've already received from God. You know what? Write them down. Two, focus on relationships and not on things. These relationships with our spouse, our children, grandchildren, friends, fellow workers are one of the most important ingredients to a happier life. Third, don't judge. No one knows for sure what's going on in another person's life. They may have gotten some bad news, their marriage may be on the rocks, and they might be losing a job or their house. Hold back judgment. 
Fourth, wish everyone well. It amazes me how jealousy and resentment can cause another loving person to wish another harm. Stop it. Fifth, enjoy the journey. We've heard it a thousand times. Life is a journey and not a destination. Live for today and enjoy the moment. Sixth, don't be afraid to fail. Fear of failure is the biggest obstacle to success. Not trying something new is to guarantee failure and regrets. Seventh, forgive yourself and others. No matter what you've done or what negative things someone has done to you, have the strength to forgive. And eighth, don't forget your health. We can be so caught up in the day-to-day problems of life that we fail to take care of ourselves. We put off that medical checkup, don't have time for exercise, and then we have regrets when our health fails. It sounds simple, doesn't it? It's a life we all desire. It's a life of no regrets. This is Tony Agnesi. Well, thanks to our friend Tony Agnesi for his reflection, A Life of No Regret. You don't have any regrets, do you, dear D, about being a benefactress for the ladies in the community and going out to lunch with them? How did this come up? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been doing a little bit of ministry work. No, I have no regrets. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think you've uh, gone out with some ladies who have been in, uh, I won't use the word nursing homes, but in... They've, they've been in lockdown yeah, in the place where they reside and haven't been able to be out and socializing, and and now they're free. <laughs> so I went out to lunch with a few of them. And you've got another one planned, don't you? I do. <laughs> Are we paying for this? <laughs> this is my ministry. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. You can write it off that way. <laughs> what do you have there in your hand? <clears throat> I've got this CD set that we're giving away, and we're still offering it at least this one is, more time this is our last offering of this four cd set called a oh. former satanist becomes catholic it's the story of zachary king who was at one time a fairly high-ranking satanist and, and the four parts the four uh, cds in here one is titled conversion story the next one is the abortion industry and satanism then the third one is Halloween, and the fourth one is Questions and Answers on the Occult. Very, very fascinating. And if you would like a copy of that for uh, your own listening and education, send an email to catholicvitamins at gmail.com, catholicvitamins at gmail.com. Or as we have said, and Dee loves to lead us, if you happen to be in our community and you want to call in and not use email. Call into the radio studio? Yes, you could do that. You can do that. Call 928-363-4144. Do you have that memorized now? 928-363-4144. But you're looking over there where you have the label. Thank you, dear Dee. Do you always have to just give me away? You know that I love to tease, don't you? You know that I love to tease. Yes, it's in your DNA. (laughs) Um, Do not anger. Maybe that's what DNA stands for. Don't do not anger. (laughs) So um, we've had some more books donated to our KPIH lending library. And you may be listening in Indiana or Ohio and wonder why I'm mentioning that. I might consider sending these books to you, uh, media mail, if you wanted to borrow one. But the one I wanted to mention, dear, is we received a copy of a book that I probably read 20 years ago. The uh, title of the book is Miracles Do Happen, 
by Sister Breeze McKenna. I know that title. Irish nun who has a great, great devotion to the Eucharist. She has a great devotion to the priesthood. And in case you don't know the story about Sister Breeze, she was at one time confined to a wheelchair and had uh, her legs virtually immobilized by a terrible form of arthritis. I don't know anything medically to describe it any more intelligently than just to say it was that. And I remember reading in the book about how they had to put her in a cast at night that would keep her feet from turning further out due to this form of arthritis that she had. And Sister Bridge was at Mass one day praying to the Lord Jesus and thanking him for the Eucharist. And all of a sudden, she was instantaneously healed. And she uh, has gone out into the world for years and years and years. Now, she's getting fairly old now, but she's traveled all over the world and she's spoken to conferences. I've seen her at Franciscan University when I attend the priest deacon <clears throat> retreat and conference, which I've done for 14 years. She's been there. And uh, <clears throat> do you remember our pastor back in Florida, Father oh, yeah. O'Doherty? Oh, yes. He, he had funny stories. He had a run-in with her, but it was a holy and, <laughs> and wonderful story. Yeah. She actually seemed like she read his mind, I think, a gift from the Lord God. So uh, if you have uh, a desire for a good book to read, Miracles Do Happen by Sister Bridge McKenna. Well, we've got one more segment left in Catholic Vitamins for uh, this show, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be back. Bilbo finds a ring. A group of children falls through a wardrobe into another dimension. Snow White finds the love of her life. William Wallace loses his. The old man in the sea hooks a monster fish. Maximus is named emperor by Marcus Aurelius. Joseph loves Shannon. Every story has one truth at its foundation. Without it, there's no story. There were over 450,000 words stretching from Tolkien's Silmarillion to the end of Return of the King. If you stood them on top of each other, they'd probably tower over the Empire State Building. But if you remove the words, Bilbo found a ring from somewhere around the fifth floor, they'd all come tumbling down. Without that, there's no story. Orcs, elves, hobbits, talking trees. Who cares? There's one claim made by one faith. Without it... The rest of the story of that faith doesn't really matter. Actually, the rest of the story of the universe and of your own life wouldn't make much sense either. That one claim was made in a quiet cemetery in an outpost of the Roman Empire and carried on the trembling lips of a conformed harlot to a group of terrified fishermen. It was spoken in whispers, a secret too good to be true. Yet it was true. It is true. And within 300 years, it transformed the Roman Empire. These three words continue to transform everything they touch until the story of time is done. He is risen. Cinderella finds love. The one truth is found somewhere in the story, but really the whole story is found in that one truth. And so the whole story of the universe, of human history, of Christianity, and of our own lives is found in these three words. He is risen. This one truth is proof that God is real. Love wins and life is good. And if that's not true, who cares about the rest of the story? This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. We had the chance to work with Chris Stefanik once in Denver. He's an awesome evangelist. D, I really like his work. Lots of good work at reallifecatholic.com. 
Thanks for being with us on this Catholic Vitamins, and we are so grateful to Mary Kloska. Dee, I'll see you on the next show. Bye. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And we'll see you next time on Catholic Vitamins. The first biographer, St. Francis of Assisi, said that Francis not only did a lot of praying, but that he himself became a prayer. If we begin every day of our lives with that attitude that I'm going to encounter God today, and I'm going to encounter some wonderful things, but I'm going to also be encountering some challenges, but I'm going to put them all in the hands of God, I think we find ourselves gradually actually becoming a living prayer. And that can be a wonderful gift. This is Relevant Radio.